listening to Sozo Church in Spokane, Washington. For more information on Sozo Church, visit sozospokane.com. this morning. Awesome. Uh, I am uh, excited about this morning. My wife, however, is not here with us. You may have noticed uh, already. I know I have. Um, I'm Mr. Momming it this weekend. My, my wife's mom, which would, I believe, be my mother-in-law, is uh, getting married. She got married yesterday, so my wife uh, flew over there for the weekend to be with her mom and to celebrate with her and her and uh, her new marriage. So she's there. I'm here and uh, doing the best I can to to be Mr. Mom to my kids. It's been an adventure. Uh, I'm, I'm happy to announce we have not had to eat peanut butter and jelly sandwiches yet. So I'm doing good. Um, cooking food. It's going good. They're they're all still alive. The house hasn't burned down. So so far, I think I'm doing pretty good for a dad. Um, but we are going to go ahead and get started this morning. If you've got a, a Bible or a flat screen you're going to follow along with, if you can get that out. We're going to read a few uh, just opening verses here real fast. Before I get to that, though, I'm trying to remember everything here. We're in the middle of um, a series, a, a season, a time for us. We're calling The Exchange. Um, and just a few quick announcements about that. We've got these cards. I believe they should be on the back table back there. If not, talk to one of our hosts. They can get you one. If you're interested in kind of joining us for uh, the final week of this portion of it, the series is going to go all the way up until Super Bowl Sunday. But, uh, but the fasting portion is just ending next Sunday. If you want to jump in and be a part of that with us, uh, you can grab one of these. If, if you don't want to, some good information and some good uh, three-week reading plan to kind of go through it. A uh, quick few things about that. If you're visiting with us, please don't feel like to be a part of this church, you have to fast. That's creepy, okay? That's weird, and we're only as weird as we have to be, and that's far weirder than we have to be. So um, don't feel like you need to be a part of it. There's something in these messages for you, we believe, uh, regardless of whether or not you're fasting or not. If you're kind of coming back, we know we've got a bunch of college students coming back with us. Um, if, if, you've, if you want to jump in and be a part of it, go for it. Don't worry about what you missed. Worry about what God can do in this last week as you kind of devote it and, uh, and apply it to him. And then last but not least, if you uh, are here and you, you've been fasting, I just want to address it. If you've been fasting, you've been pressing into the Lord and you messed up. Come on, you, you accidentally ate a cheeseburger. You, you ordered a steak when you meant to order vegetables. Um, don't worry about it. Let's just get up and keep moving forward and uh, believe in God's grace. Amen? Amen. All right. Uh, got a few verses here real fast for us just to open us up this morning. First one is Psalm chapter 92. Verses 1 through 2. Not going to really preach on these too much. Just want to kind of get them in our hearing and get them into the record this morning. So Psalm 92, verses 1 and 2, it says, It is good. Can everybody just say good? It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to his name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning. Everybody say morning. morning. And your faithfulness by night. Everybody say night. So morning and night, 
It's good to praise Jesus. Amen? Amen. All right. Romans chapter 8, verse 28 through 30. It says, and we know that for those who love God, all things, how many things? All things work together for good. For those who are the called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. In order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And to those whom he called, he also justified. And to those he, whom he justified, he also glorified. And then 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 16 through 18. says, Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And if you've got your Bibles or flat screens out still, go ahead and go to uh, Isaiah chapter 61. This is the, the, kind of the platform, the, the launching pad for this time in this series, in this season. Um, Isaiah 61, verses 1 through 4. says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of the vengeance of our God, to conform all, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, we thank you this morning. We thank you that you are here with us. We thank you that you are faithful to meet us as we draw near to you. God, as we draw near to you, you draw near to us. You've, you've, you've left that invitation open. We don't have to wonder or worry if, if as we draw near, if you'll draw near to us. We don't have to wonder or worry about, about whether or not we'll meet with you as we come and seek you, God. Because you say in your word that as we seek you, we find you. And we believe that, and we confess that, and we know that. And God, for many of us, we have experienced that. So God, we stand before you right now in thanksgiving and praise and adoration and thank you for your presence here. And we ask now, God, that you would be faithful to your word and speak to your people. God, open up the scriptures. Speak to our hearts. God, give us ears to hear and a heart to receive. Let us not be those who hear and don't do and don't receive any, any benefit from hearing your word. But God, let us be transformed by your word. Let us be doers of your word and not hearers only. In Jesus' name, everybody said... Come on, everybody said? Amen. All right, so real fast, uh, we, we promised everybody you'd be out in time for the game today, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do good on my word. So uh, we're going we're gonna to do a very quick review here this morning. Here's the, the, the point of this. We, we saw earlier that this passage, Isaiah 61, is the very passage in Luke that Jesus reads in the synagogue to announce the purpose of his coming. Why did he come? Why did Jesus come? He says, this is why I've come, because I'm anointed of the Lord and I'm here to preach a good news to you. Here's what I need you to understand this morning. The gospel is good news. 
Hello, somebody. I said the gospel is good news. The gospel's good news for bad people. Both of those need to be understood. It's, it's real, actual, factual good news. It's not potential good news. It's actual good news. I believe that what Paul's trying to say in Romans chapter 8, when he talks about the fact that he predestined us, called us, uh, justifies us, glorifies us, is this, that Jesus didn't die potentially for you. He died actually for you. That there is actual, real good news for actually, really bad people. See, the problem is unless you believe that you're a bad person, the good news isn't that good news. Sure, Jesus died for me. I'm a great guy. It's funny that we, we, we kind of can have that attitude sometimes, like it's almost justifiable that the Son of God would sacrifice his life for our sake. But the reality is Jesus came for the broken, the busted, and the disgusted. He came for those who are broken. He came for those that are bound. He came for those that are stuck in a battle that they didn't start. Come on, somebody. But they're still locked as captives in it. Bible says that we are all, each and every one of us, desperate sinners. We are sinners because of what we do. We're sinners because of what we don't do. But Jesus came to redeem sinners. Amen? So this passage talks about this, that he came to redeem, to reconcile, to restore us through the power of the gospel. The reality that Jesus Christ, the righteous one, has paid the penalty, absorbed the wrath, and brought Freedom, come on somebody, brought forgiveness to those whom he will call and justify. That, that in Jesus, all the enemies of God and all the enemies of mankind have been defeated. That's a good place to say amen. And then in him we have victory, in him we have mending, in him we have freedom. And so we've been looking at this passage because there's this amazing thing. This is where our series gets its name. There's, there is the, the, the process in this is through the exchange. We see this in verse 3 where it talks about he has something and we have something. And he's going to take what we have, come on, and give us what he has. Primarily, he, he says that there's this binding, this this. this Repairing of brokenness, come on, the setting at liberty those in captivity, the, uh, the, the bringing of victory to those in battle. He, he says it's going to happen through, through ex- the exchange of a beautiful headdress for our ashes, come on somebody, an oil of gladness for our mourning, and a, and a, and a garment of praise. For our faint spirit, we've seen the first two so far in this series. We saw that, that God gives us in the garment, or in the, the beautiful headdress, it's a picture, a type, a, an image, if you would, uh, of having a new way of thinking. That new way of thinking is to think biblically. We exchange our dead, dying, fallen, self-centered way of thinking for his eternal, biblical, God-centered way of thinking. We need to think biblically, Amen. We also saw that, that in, the, in the exchanging of an oil of gladness for our mourning, that our broken emotional state is not how God wants us to live. He gave you your emotions, amen? amen? We don't believe that emotions are bad or evil or wicked. We believe that emotions were given to us, invested to us by God, but rather we are called to live by the Spirit, not by our emotions. You're not called to be, to be in bondage to the way you feel. Well, I wish I could do that, but I just don't feel like it. How immature is that? And yet so many of us find ourselves stuck in that cycle. Today, we've, we've seen a new way of thinking, a new way of feeling. This morning, I want to show us a new way of responding. A new way of responding. Right thinking and feeling, I need you to understand this. Right thinking and feeling can't be done in your own strength. 
I'm going to say that again. Right thinking and right feeling cannot be done in your own strength. I'm going to level with you here. I actually wanted, when we initially looked at this passage, I actually wanted to do this message first. Because the, the first two messages, if, if all you hear is the first two, the reality is you will end up stuck back in the same place you started in. Maybe, and, and I believe this is why, to be honest with you, the, 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 the Lord wrote this passage in this order, and it's why I wanted to, to ultimately, why I chose to, to look through it in this order. Because ultimately, maybe you've experienced this as you've heard the messages and you've attempted to apply them, that you get about 60 minutes into it and then you screw up again. I'm going to think biblically, I'm going to let the Bible determine what, how I think. Dude cuts you off. Instantly, you think about ramming your car into the back of his car. Just me? Okay. Um, come on, your spouse responds to you in a way you don't think is, is right, and instantly you're thinking about, I don't know, something. <laughs> come on, you, you think, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be led by the Spirit. I'm not going to let my emotions control me, but I'm going to make a choice to think biblically, to respond biblically, to be obedient to the Lord, and I'm going to cause my emotions to get in line. But before you know it, you're right back in that place. The reason for that is this. You cannot, come on somebody, you cannot in your own strength be obedient to the Lord. It's impossible. You can't do it. And that's where this peace comes in. Your selfish desires can't produce kingdom results. I'm going to say that again. Your selfish desires cannot produce kingdom results. You say, well, how is it selfish for me to want to be better? You just answered your own question. So the desire of those that have been reconciled to God, the desire of those who have been brought into the kingdom, and I know this is not uh, elementary Christianity, but the reality is that the kingdom is not about you having shiny gold underwear, a big house, and a new car. When we sing songs like uh, the last song that we sung, I actually worry sometimes because it says stuff like, like that you're my source, I'm never lacking. The reason for that is this, that when we understand who Christ is and what he has done for us, in all reality, and we're going to unpack this more later, but in all reality, you have no need that has not yet been met. We're not talking about, about some weird prosperity gospel. The reality of the kingdom is this. The kingdom is all about the king's domain. The kingdom is all about where it is all about Jesus. The reality is your selfish desires, our selfish desires, my selfish desires cannot produce kingdom results. The whole purpose of this passage, the whole purpose of the gospel is kingdom results. So if you miss this piece, if we miss this piece, we miss it all. So let's jump in real fast. Let's look at it backwards here. So he says he's going to give us the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. We are in a place of having a faint spirit. Faint spirit literally means, come on somebody, literally means a dull or dim or dark mind, heart, or inner self, inner spirit. It's the colorless soul of the unredeemed heart. It's that bland, lifeless place. It's a place with, with, with no courage, with no hope, with no dreams, with no ability to see beyond right in front of my face. And that's where we're at. It's the sin that has, we have committed and the sin that has been committed against us that has paid us the proper wage of death. And so we're stuck in this place. We're stuck in this place of having no hope, no courage. Come on, somebody. No strength to get out of it. We're in a dark place. 
The faint spirit is the spirit that has no strength, no stamina, because it has no stability. Come on. It's built on itself, and so therefore, there is no light there because despite what humanism might try to tell us, there is no inner light inside of you. The Bible says that within the heart of man lies nothing good. So thinking about, well, I just need to get in touch with my inner self. Your inner self is worse than your outer self. Because your outer self at least has some kind of, uh, of thought about getting caught in some kind of shame about what might happen if other people see you. But the reality is your inner self doesn't feel that way. If you don't believe me, just think about the fact that when that dude cut you off in the freeway, what you did to him in your head is far worse than what you did to him in reality, even if you gave him the California high five. The high one. I've never done that. Never. This week. Um, but we... we <laughs> promise. But we, we need to understand that, that that's what lies within us. That faint spirit is what is choking our ability, come on somebody, to enable us to think biblically, to enable us to be led by the spirit. Because when we go to our spirit in and of ourselves, all we find there is dimness, darkness, and a colorless reality that does not allow us the strength and stamina to obey God. So what he says is this, instead of that, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you the garment of praise. Can everybody say, just say garment of praise? The word praise literally means, I love this, it literally means to shine. What an amazing picture that the Lord's giving us here and saying that, that the faint spirit is, is, a, is a dim, dark place with, with, with no ability to see. And yet praise, come on, is the very thing that shines forth light. Praise is that thing that shines in the darkness. It brings the light of illumination to our soul and brings divine clarity, come on, to our lives. Praise breaks down walls, amen? Praise, what do we mean by by praise? So, So praise is to ascribe glory, fame, or renown that is due to God for his qualities, his deeds, and his very attributes. I'm going to read that again. Praise is to ascribe glory, fame, or renown that is due to God for his qualities, deeds, or attributes. It's making much of who God is. Whether it's singing, whether it's painting, come on, whether it's living our lives, whether it's, whether it's singing, whether it's service, or whether it's sacrifice, it's about ascribing to God that he is God and I am not. If you need a title for today's message, it can be simply this, he, not me. It's about making much of Jesus, not making much of myself. Because ultimately, any idol you choose is all about making much of yourself. Let's just get right to the heart of all of it. We create idols that look like us so that we can worship us. We create idols that look like what we want to look like so we can worship the thought that we have of ourselves. It's what, it's what this whole system of this world is about, is, is throwing anything else in front of us except Jesus. It's why every week when you gather here, we make much of Jesus. We say it's all about Jesus. So I'll say it all, all morning long. I'll, I'll be real with you. Sometimes I wonder if the best thing we can do with our time is write songs that all it says is it's all about Jesus. Over and over again, we sing that for like a half an hour, and then I just get up here and say over and over again, it's all about Jesus. Because every moment of every day, for the rest of the six days of this week, you'll hear voice after voice, message after message, saying the exact opposite of that. Well, you deserve 
more than this. You, you ought to have more than this. You, know, you, you really are better than you think. You really are a good person. So why not just allow yourself? Buy this car. It will make you happy. It's really all about you. For we know it. We've, we've, we've built shrines and idols to worship ourselves. Praise is about ascribing to God what is due to him. Amen? I like the idea of this. This word garment here literally means, it means to, to wrap or to surround. What God wants to do is not just, not just add. I, I like that it didn't say the, 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 the jewelry of praise. It doesn't say the adornments of praise. It doesn't say a little, a little side dish of praise. It says a garment. He says, I want to I wrap you. I want to envelop your life. I want when people see you to what they see is a life that is devoted to ascribing the glory, the renown, the fame to Jesus that he's due. Where our lives make much of Jesus. Amen? As we do this, praise breaks down every wall. It, it tears down obstacles that keep us from living the life of kingdom-mindedness that we are called to. Because in praise, we are, we are placing Jesus on the throne. So suddenly now the way is made, come on, for us to enter into kingdom living because we know it's all about him. When your life is all about Jesus, you live according to the kingdom whether you like it or not. So I don't want to just leave this as a pep talk. So let's, let's get this down to, to, to two quick things. I want to answer two things. When are we called to praise God? And how are we called to praise God? How are we not, well, we'll get to that. So when, we read this in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. Always, in all things, at all times, in all means possible. When are we called to glorify, to honor, to ascribe praise to Jesus? Well, when he, when you pray, and he answers you the way you think he's going to answer you, you ought to ascribe glory and honor to him. Amen? Okay. When you pray and he doesn't respond the way that you think he ought to, you ought to praise and glorify Jesus because he's worthy of your praise. Amen? That was a little harder to say amen since I, uh, sort of. Let me ask you this. Did Jesus change or did your circumstances? Because I would rather glorify and honor the one who is unchanging, regardless of the circumstances, than only worship when my circumstances seem possible for me to do such. I get that this is not easy, but the reality is we are called in all times and all things to worship Jesus. Amen? Amen? Amen. Come on, in the dark place, isn't it the best place to worship Jesus? If praise is about shining a light, then why ought we not in the dark place to shine light? Why not in the place where we can't find our way, where we are hopeless? Why can't we just hit our knees in that place, come on, and just say, God, you're good? So how? I don't mean how, like, what types of songs ought we to sing. I mean how. Because if it was easy as just, I'll just worship God in all times, then we would all already be doing it. But when life turns left, when you planned on going straight, 
when, when you lose control and skid out of the way, when the report comes that wasn't the expected report, when, when you went in because you thought you had a cold and you found out you have cancer, when you, when, you, when you get the phone call that says your loved one is no longer with us, when, when you go through the season of the dark night of the soul, how do you worship then? Because I got a pretty good feeling, if we're going to be real here for a second, I got a pretty good feeling that if somebody handed you the winning lottery ticket today, you would have no problem praising Jesus. So I don't think I need to worry about teaching us that. By the way, somebody ought to hand you the winning lottery ticket because you shouldn't play the lottery because it's just a tax on people who are bad at math. Well, somebody's got to win. Well, a lot of people got to lose. So anyways, um... If you have your Bible still out, let's get back to that. Um, real fast, I just I, th- this isn't going to take long, honestly, but 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16. If you need bookends for a life of praise, in my opinion, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18, and 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18, kind of are, are the bookends for me of a life of praise. They hold everything up. I, I understand that in all seasons, at all all times, in all circumstances, I worship God because I know that the, what I'm going through is his will. Because I know that he is God and I am not. I know that he is sovereign and I am not. I know that he sees more than I do. This is the other piece that props that up. Second Corinthians 4, verse 16, it says, So we do not lose Heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. I have to take a second and pause this right there and stop and make sure you heard what that says. There is this belief that creeps into our heart that we can only grow spiritually in certain seasons. In fact, I'll be honest with you, I hesitate using the word seasons partially because it's been apprehended by a movement in the church that I think overuses it but, and, and uses it wrongfully. But, but the other reason I, I, I hesitate in it is because we can think, well, I'm just not in a growing kind of season. Let me apply this to our church. Let me back off because I've been hitting this hard. So let's apply this to churches. I, I hear this from pastors a lot. I was actually at a pastor's conference back in October, and we we're talking and I'm praying with this other pastor and trying to encourage him. And, and he just said, you know what, we're just, you know what, I've just had to come to realize we're just not in a growing season as a church. We're just not going to grow. He's like, so you're cool with all the people in your city going to hell? Well, no, but I mean, we're just not in a growing season. You know, some seasons you grow, some seasons you don't. I said, I don't think that's the way it works in Jesus because my Bible says he goes from glory to glory. So when we talk about seasons, we're not talking about ups and downs. We're talking about moving from this season to the next place that he has for us. He says here in, in this, we don't lose heart. Now, if you, you look at this, they're going through massive persecution. And I'm not talking about somebody unfriending them on Facebook because they posted something from the political party that the other person is not affiliated with. I'm talking about real persecution where they were throwing rocks at their head. I don't think that's happened to anybody because you've said you're a Christian. 
They're going through this. He says, we don't lose heart, even though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Come on, you know this. In that hard season, in that dark night of the soul, in that place where everything fell apart, that was the time, come on, that you pushed into Jesus. That was the time that you grew spiritually. See, I'm not just saying we got to grow in numbers as a church. I'm saying we ought to be growing spiritually as a church, which I believe if that happens, we will grow in numbers, and that will take care of itself. Come on, healthy stuff grows. I just make sure my kids have food, which they are more than capable of making sure that I do. And, and, and they grow. Come on. We just make sure that we're well fed in the spirit and we grow, whether that's individually or as a church. What I'm saying is it doesn't matter whether you're in a bad season or a good season, you can grow. Now, let me turn this on us because a lot of us go, well, in bad seasons, I, I rejoice and I, I can grow spiritually because I, I press into Jesus. But when I get back on the mountaintop, I forget about him and I come crashing back down. Might I suggest to you, you not forget on the mountaintop what you learned in the valley. I'm sick and tired of Christians going, I actually talked to a guy, oh, oh, Jesus, I talked to a dude the other day who said, I, I turned down promotions at my job and raises because I wouldn't, I don't want a lot of money because I know if I have a lot of money, I'll abandon Jesus. I said, bro, you better pray for grace so you don't abandon Jesus when you get the money. Come on, it's not about keeping ourselves poor and desperate and lonely and in some sort of black hole of a life so we can grow spiritually. We talked about this last week. Being depressed does not equal being spiritual. I know people that love Jesus and are powerhouses in the kingdom, come on, that are dirt poor. And I know people who, are, uh, who love Jesus and are powerhouses in the kingdom who are stupid rich. Jesus is the center of their life regardless. So he says, regardless of what my outer self is doing, my inner self is being renewed. i got to hurry up. Verse 17, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Pause. You say, well, that's good for him. His was light and momentary. Mine is hard and has been going on forever. I love you. You're immature. It is immature to say it has always been this way. It has not always been this way. It's been that way for two weeks. Always is longer than two weeks. I love you. Come on. Am I allowed to preach to you? Is that okay? Come on, we, we, we get immature when, when come on, you, you, parents in the room, you say, I need you to go pick up your room. You always make me pick up my room. I don't always, you've been playing for like six hours. If I always had you clean up your room, your room would always be clean. And since your room is never clean, I clearly don't always make you clean up your room. And then you realize, if you're like me, that you're having a half an hour long conversation about logic with your five-year-old. Sorry, thank you. That was just free therapy for me. We, we need to understand that it's not always been this way. And what he's saying here is this. It's light and momentary. Let's, let's keep reading. i got to keep reading. Verse 18. As we look, so he says, we, 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 we don't lose heart in this light and momentary affliction because it's preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look, not to the things that are seen, but to those things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient Temporal, little bit, short time, not all the time. But the things that are unseen are eternal. How do we, come on, how do we worship God in all seasons? We look to the things that are eternal. When our flesh and our bones and our blood, all they can do is respond to the Temporal. I 
went out for the promotion. I didn't get it. I got the report back. It wasn't right. I'm not healthy when I want to be healthy. My finances are going downhill instead of uphill. My life seems like it is just a giant train wreck that will never end. Well, in light of eternity, come on somebody, Jesus has prepared for you an eternal weight of glory that what you're going through, come on, it's light and it's temporal. Let's get those down real fast. In comparison to eternity, what you are carrying is light. If you think I don't know what it's like to walk through hard, difficult seasons, please believe me, I do. I've lost everything. I've had seasons where every friend abandoned me. I've had seasons where life has hit the skids in all areas, where literally when I looked for one place where I thought I could see the hand of God moving powerfully, I saw nothing. And yet in that moment, when we compare it, come on, to eternity, it is light. It's momentary. It's only for a season, whether it's your whole life on this earth or not. It's for a season. Hear me. Please hear me. I love you. Please hear me. I love you. If you are a redeemed, reconciled child of God, please hear me. This is the worst hell you will ever live in. Can you let that be some hope for you this morning? I know that might seem backwards, but, but, but hear me, please. This life is the worst life you'll ever live. There's books on the shelf talking about how this is going to be your best life. I hope this is my best life because if this is my best life, my eternal life is going to suck. That's a, that's a theological term, by the way. Now, we need to understand that these afflictions are light and they are momentary and they are preparing something for us that we would not experience had we not gone through it. An eternal weight of glory. We focus on eternity. Eternity, the response of eternity, when we say a new way of responding, we respond not in light of our situation and circumstances. Come on, we respond in light of eternity. Amen? Come on, we respond in light of eternity. What does it mean to respond in light of eternity? I need to teach you this because just saying that isn't enough. I'm going to talk real fast, so you've got to listen real fast. Responding in light of eternity is to respond based off the character, nature, and purposes of God. I would rather, I would rather interpret my situation and circumstances in light of my God than interpret my God in light of my circumstances and situations. That's your choice. I'll just lay that out for you to pick up if you want to. I would, rather, I would rather look to the scriptures. When we talk about this, think biblically. I would rather think biblically about my God and his character and his nature and his plans in light of what I see in the scriptures, which are eternal, Jesus said, than interpret my God through these ever-changing, ever-shifting sands of my life. God is good. You say, yeah, but my God is good. Tattoo it on your forehead backwards so you see it in the mirror. With black lighting, because it'd be creepy to walk around with that. Um, God is good. Somebody needs to hear that this morning. God is good. You say, yeah, but my life is not. I didn't say your life was good. I said your God is good. God is good. He is always good. 
His plans are always good. Come on, his, his purposes are always good. You can't comprehend his goodness in this life. That's why eternity is going to be so mind-blowing, because you're going to see just how good God is. If you need to understand the, the purpose of eternity, we say, think about eternity. Here's what I'm not saying. Oh, i gotta, I got to go here. Here's what I'm not saying, that we need to build a theology of, I'll fly away, oh, glory. Anybody grow up in the church? Come on, where, where you had people around you like, well, my life. I got the voice down. My life is so tough, but oh, glory. One good, good enough morning, I'll be flying away with the Lord and everything will be okay. No? Y'all didn't hang out with those people? Just me? Okay. Uh, there's this, this idea that has permeated Christianity that this life, come on, it just, it is just you know, it's, we're, just, we're just sitting at the cosmic bus station waiting for Jesus to vacuum suck us out in the rapture or to die, hopefully painlessly in our sleep so that our life can have purpose then. No, your life, come on, this verse says your life has purpose. It's preparing you for something there. This life just isn't my purpose. It has an eternal purpose because my God has an eternal purpose. And the purpose of eternity is Jesus. If you need proof of that, look at Revelation chapter 21. Revelation 21. Revelation 20. If you need, if you need perspective on what eternity is all about, read every morning when you get up for the next 60 days. Revelation chapter 21. weirded me out because Revelation chapter 21 is, is describing the new Jerusalem in eternity, the place that we'll live in eternity. And here's what freaks me out. Um, everything that it's built out of is clear. Stop and think about that for a second. Think about your life. Think about living your life. You're not going to live as some ethereal, fuzzy-wuzzy, like vapor in heaven. The Bible says we're going to have bodies. We're going to have, we're going to live there. We're going to have a life there. Someday we'll do a series on eternity, but we're going to have a life there, live there, walk around there, and everything is clear. So your house is clear. The Bible even says the gold is so pure, and I don't understand this. The gold is so pure, it's clear like glass. And I, I spent, I'm just being honest, I spent a lot of time going like, Jesus, that's messed up. Because I got neighbors right now, and it's creepy enough when I like walk by my window and I notice they're looking in. My whole house is going to be like that <laughs> there. And that weirds me out. Until I realize something. There's a reason for that. And that is this. That the purpose of heaven is Jesus. And even the house he builds for you in eternity isn't going to get in the way of you seeing him. Even, even the glory of Eternity, even the glory of a glorious, beautiful, wonderful city, the very purpose of the stones cannot get in the way of you seeing Jesus. When I talk about responding from an eternal perspective, I'm talking about responding in light of the character and nature and purposes of Jesus. I'll go through what I got to go through because Jesus has a bigger plan than my life. I'll respond in praise and adoration because he has a bigger plan and a bigger purpose than my life. Amen? His purpose, which is to glorify himself, is worth fill in the blank. Whatever I got to go through to glorify and honor him. Amen? So let's land this plane. Real praise 
is about confessing that Jesus is God and I am not. And that's where the rubber meets the road. That's the place where it gets hard. Forget it. That's the place that it gets impossible. Because I've always been my God. I've always been the one in charge. I've always been the one telling me what I'm going to do, how I'm going to do it, how am I going to think, how I'm going to feel, and how I'm going to respond. And in the moment where I experience redemption and am reconciled to God, the whole purpose of redemption is so that he might be your God. And if he's your God, you're not. One last verse, Philippians. Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. It says, therefore, God has highly exalted you. No. God has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name. What name do you think that is? Verse 10. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. The Father, hear me, please. You are going to bend your knee and confess his lordship, whether it is now or whether it is in eternity. The difference is on this side of eternity, your confession is part of how God reconciles you back to himself. In eternity, it stands as one more nail in the coffin of your guilt and your conviction before him. So I would beg you, whether you are a believer or an unbeliever, to confess that Jesus is Lord. Let's stand to our feet and invite the worship team to come back up. As a church, we choose to respond we, each and every week to, uh, to what it is that the Lord speaks to us through the preaching of the word. We respond uh, in three ways. We respond through worshiping. We're going to enter back into worship. This isn't the closing song to uh, Kumbaya to before we leave. This is, this is a chance for us to respond. I think this morning, probably more than, than most mornings, it is appropriate, come on, to, to respond with worship. If we're encouraged through a message to worship Jesus, it seems right to respond to that message by worshiping Jesus. We respond through worship. We respond through communion, through the taking of, of the Lord's body and blood symbolically in communion. That table is open to all who have uh, gone through that process of repentance and confession and trusting in Jesus. If you've experienced redemption, these tables, we have one on each side, are, are open to you. Uh, we would encourage you to take as you feel led. You won't be dismissed by rose or anything. You can just take as you feel led. We take by antiquation. Take a piece of bread or one of the gluten-free crackers. Dip it in the cup and partake individually as you feel led. If you have not yet experienced that redemption, we would ask that you would uh, abstain from this and not partake until such a time as you have. And the third way we respond is, is through prayer. We have people who are gifted and trained to pray for those in need, and, and they'll be up here this morning to pray for you. If you really struggle with this, this idea of responding to Jesus in praise, if you, if when you go through hard times, you just go, no, I, I won't praise him. I'll praise him when he's good, but when life isn't good, I don't think he's good. 
I would call you to, re- to, to come forward and to repent and to receive prayer. If you're repenting for the first time, confessing Jesus as Lord, we would invite you to come forward and pray with these that are here to, to pray with you, to stand with you, to believe with you. It's not about praying some magic word. It's about repenting of your sin, confessing that he is Lord, which means that you're not. It's confessing and saying, God, you're good and I'm not. I'm a sinner and you're a savior. Well, if you're here, just please hear the absolute asinineness that it is to use the brain that God gave you to curse him. And yet that's what we do. So this morning, as we respond in worship, I would call us to repent, to turn to Jesus. Holy Spirit, we thank you this morning that your word has been opened to us and that you have spoken to us. God, I thank you that you are good that your mercies endure forever. That God, despite my situation, despite my circumstances, in all things and at all times, you are good. Lord, I I pray for the one that is struggling with the idea that the hard, difficult, God, painful thing that they're currently going through, they're struggling to think that that is your will for them. Would you show them, God, that it is light, that it is momentary, and that it is meaningful. God, I pray that we would be a people that worships you, that praises you in all things, that confesses your lordship and your goodness at all times and in all places. Jesus, be glorified now in this place. God, through our repentance and through our response to you in Jesus' name.